and welcome to episode 12 of the Melbourne AWS User Group podcast. Once again, we'll be discussing the news here today, this time for February 2021. My name is Arjen Swartz and I am joined by my good friends Jean-Manuel Becker. Hello, uh, thank you for listening again. Uh, very excited to be here to share the news. And Guy Morton. Hi everyone, I'm short and sweet. Excellent. Um, before we dive into the actual news that people care about, I want to share one little thing, and that is that I started a new podcast. So it's called Alien Without Sleep, which features myself as well as sometimes occasionally the cries of a little human. <laughs> as I discovered that talking about the cloud makes my newborn daughter fall asleep. <laughs> so I decided to record that. And you can listen to those recordings on ignore slash sleep. That is ig.nore.me slash sleep. And the link to that is in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in hearing short about 10 minute episodes where I talk about a service or something else AWS related, Go have a listen. And just keep your earplugs handy in case the cries begin. I'm trying to edit those out. <laughs> no, you should leave them in. That's part of the part of the colour. <laughs> <laughs> it depends a bit on how loud they are. Yeah. Some things are in there, some are not. I trust you to use your judgment on that one, Arjen. So you're doing subliminal training for your daughter to be an engineer, is it? <laughs> Let's give her every advantage she can get. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know, because she's falling asleep, so that may not be a good sign. That could just be that I'm incredibly boring, and everybody who will download the podcast will also use it. Hey, that's that could be a new market. That could be a new market. Learn learn AWS while you sleep with Arjen. <laughs> <laughs> you could start it out with a, a, little, a few sort of rain noises at the start. And you could just, you know, bring the rain noises in and out as, you know, in between phrases. I reckon that, yeah, that'd be good. Be good. I'd listen to that. Might learn something. <laughs> Shall we get started on the actual news now? I think we probably should, yes. Cool. Let's start with the uh, notice that there wasn't that much exciting news this month. It really seems like we've uh, entered the low point after reInvent where all the cool stuff was pre-announced. So now there's not much to talk about. Still, we got a couple of things in Sydney. New instance types, that's always fun. And in this case, it starts with more Graviton 2 instance types. Mm. The M6GD, C6GD, and R6GD. Yes, the cool instance based on Graviton, as usual. Um, the new ARM64 developed by AWS. You get high-speed, low-latency storage added to that uh, environment. And uh, there is a several size from uh, the MCs. M6 GD medium with one vCPU, four gig memory, and 59 gig of SSD NVMe, up to the 16 extra large with 64 cores, 256 gig memory, and two times two terabyte of SSDs, and then the metal version as well. So if you need to use a very a fast local storage uh, for temp files or for pushing data, then that's uh, the best way of doing it. And they go from five cents an hour to a three dollars point six an hour in US dollars, so that's uh, pretty decent. And uh, the T4G macro, which is the original Graviton, so if you want to do some testing before paying the big box on the M6, you can still until the end of March uh, this month, uh, 2021, uh, have 750 hours of free T4G macro to test your code on it. Nice. So these GD instances are the ones with, the, so they've got, they've got attached physical storage as opposed to the other ones that do not. That's correct. Yes. So this one, have, you can have EBS and NVMe SSD attached and depending on the size of the instance, the bigger you grow, basically that SSD size doubles in size. So presumably that's optimized for workloads where you need the uh, storage to be sort of very tightly attached to, well, you know, well, you want the storage to be um, very fast to access. Yeah, temp file, uh, database, stuff like that, uh, or, or batching uh, when you copy a lot of images locally and then uh, process them fast on Graviton. Mm, nifty. So another instance type that we now got is the M5ZN instances, which are, again, two suffixes, one for the 100 gigabit per second networking, which is 
obviously really nice if you need to do some HPC or things like that. Mm-hmm. And the other is they, what they build as a high-frequency processor, highest in any cloud. Uh, basically, I think they go to something like... 4.5 gigahertz Xeon. Yeah, it's a new uh, scalable Xeon. And uh, apparently it provides 45% better single-threaded compute performance uh, using the Intel VTX. So if you need to do virtualization or non-virtualization environment on top of because uh, you have a metal metal version as well with 48 CPUs and 192 gig memory, then uh, you, you know you're going to have much better performance. However, when you compare them with an M5, uh, you got 45 better performance, but they are 60 percent more expensive uh, in cost per hour. Um, so you need to you know use them for the right thing, and uh, that gives us more choice with AWS. Before it was more SSDs attached. Now it's a better network interface. So pick the right instance for your right workload. So many instance types. Yes. Who remembers when they did their first um, AWS solution architect exam and there was only like eight different types, eight different families or something? Yeah, the the IM, the R, and then everybody was doing the mistake of M being memory one. That, that, that was the wrong answer. Um, yeah, I remember very well. <laughs> you had to know the, the instance type, but now they're still, I mean, following the same pattern, so you can guess it, but um, yeah, there is a lot of instance. Yeah, it's the same pattern, but they just keep adding letters to the end. Extra suffixes, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the M6GDZN instances. <laughs> bare metal of course yeah. <laughs> but bare metal I mean you know there is a market for VMC VMware on AWS going to VMware but I think there could be a market now with using KVM or uh, even you know for people who want to do it with Kubernetes bare metal um, running that on top of cloud and uh, using the maximum of, uh, of an instance if you can use it. So uh, a lot of bare metal instances around provided by AWS and now in Sydney as well, which is awesome. Yep. And the last one for Sydney is the um, new 100 gigabits dedicated connections uh, for Direct Connect. So now that's available in Sydney and a couple of data centers up there, I think. Yeah, it's only on Equinix. So if you need to build that with redundancy, we still need to have a one gig connection somewhere or maybe a trend, um, you know, doing LAP, you can still have four or 10 gig together. Uh, as a, as a backup with 40 gig, that was a maximum speed before. Now, um, you can have a 100 gig, uh, if you are connected to Equinix SY3. The cost, uh, much more expensive, obviously, per hour. It's obviously it's, a, it's AWS. <laughs> well, you, you pay for what you get, right? Um, so the 10 gig is $2.25 an hour and the 100 gig is $22 an hour. So, you know, it's almost uh, the same. Wow. When you look at it and convert that in Australian dollars per month, it's going to be $21,000 to have that poor. Uh, then you need obviously your router on your side and your ISP and stuff like that on top of that. But, you know, if you are already in colocation in SY3, having a 100 gig pipe, pretty nice uh, moving your data from your data center to S3. Yeah. Yep. And other cloud providers were providing 100 gig before, so it's good that AWS is catching up with that. It's not co- not common to see them lagging behind, so, you know, yeah, absolutely. Then let's have a look at the serverless section. Really only two announcements here. Mm-hmm. Guy, I think out of us, you are the one most interested in Lambda support for Node.js 14. Am I? <laughs> uh, look, I, I obviously this is you know this is just a, a going to happen, isn't it? The the roll they roll them out. Um, no, I was I was actually interested in the, in the other announcement more. So the Amplify Flutter that that looks like a, a neat um, new capability. If you're familiar with Amplify, so Amplify's got support for React and Vue and. Um, it allows you to build cross-platform, essentially, you know, iOS and, and Android and web um, apps uh, using those technologies. So now they're supporting Google's Flutter library. What do you want to call it? Uh, UI framework. So that's that's an, a nice new uh, capability that's been brought to Amplify, which has had some nice updates over the last, so I'm going to say six months. And it's, pretty, it's a pretty sweet sort of setup now. Yeah. And for people who don't know, Flutter is a language framework whatever you want to call it aimed at building cross-platform applications so it works for your ios android but also linux mac os windows and 
the idea is that it builds native binaries for them, so it's not like you end up with an Electron app, but sort of like real native capabilities. So it's good to see. Uh, just just coming back on the Node.js 14 was not exciting for anyone. I think the the good difference part is it can run on Amazon Linux 2 now into Lambda with the latest generation of Amazon Linux. And Node.js 14 going to be supported, so it's a long-term support release and will be supported until April 2023. So you have kind of three years to enjoy using the version 14. Uh, and so obviously Lambda is always supporting the latest version and uh, the long-term service release version. So that's a good uh, option, I guess, to upgrade to 14 right now. Yeah, I just think you lost a year there, Jim. We're in 2021 now. Oh yes, that's It's only two years away. <laughs> two years, two years away. Yes. Apology for that. Nevertheless, it's always good to see new versions. Yeah. Yeah. The endless march of progress. But I'm afraid that was it really for serverless. Boo. Well, let's see if containers has a bit more. Following the idea of the march of progress, EKS now supports Kubernetes 1.19. The fun thing here, though, is that they also specifically mention EKS distro, which is the open source yeah, version. So that's nice. So it's still lagging behind uh, mainstream Kubernetes, which is up to 1.20 now since December. But yeah, that's one minor feature is not too bad. And obviously, this means that another version will no longer be supported, which is 1.15. I believe it will be dropped in May and it will have the usual process. If you don't upgrade your cluster yourself, it will be done for you. I recommend not having that happen to you <laughs> because EKS can be a bit finicky and you'll have some services that are out of date running on your clusters. So do your own upgrades. You've still got several months for them. Some good advice there. Yes, yes. Um, as you know, containers you know, aren't my special subject. Well, I don't have a special subject really, but uh, I did notice the config support for Amazon Container Services. That seemed like it was... Uh, likely to be a good thing. Yeah, so you can start recording now the change happening in your cluster for ECS uh, cluster, ECS service and task definition and a bit of EKS as well for the cluster side and AWS release uh, two config rules that you can start deploying and monitoring your cluster for EKS endpoint with no public access. So to ensure that, um, you know, your EKS is not facing the internet and then the EKS secret encrypted as well to ensure that all your secret encrypted with KMS and envelope encryption. So a couple of help there for the management of your cluster and, and recording the change who are happening. Yeah, good addition. The more in config, the better. Yeah, it's interesting though to see that one of the two rules they released basically checks for something that was the only way to spin up EKS clusters at the start, having a public endpoint. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's correct, yes. Uh, and don't forget to tag on your subnet, otherwise it won't work as well. You need to tag all the subnet properly, otherwise the node won't, won't know where to go. So they might end up in the public zone again. A uh, couple of other announcements. Uh, EKS now support uh, authentication with OIDC, compatible identity providers. So instead of using just kubectl and, and uh, you know the, the different uh, authentication you can have, it was supported before with IAM, but now you can start linking LDAP and all sorts of different uh, authentication to access your EKS cluster. Um, there is a blog as well mentioning Cognito, and uh, there is a demonstration of how you can plug in your EKS cluster with, with uh, a Cognito authenticator. So pretty cool. Again, catching up on the competition on this one, uh, but it's good to see. Yeah, and the other thing that you can almost see as catching up with the Competition is for AppMesh, which now supports mutual TLS. AppMesh is AWS's service mesh offering. And like other service meshes that you may be more familiar with, Istio is probably the big player there. Mutual TLS is important for some workloads. And now AppMesh has ticked that box and you can use it both for ECS clusters, EKS clusters, anything that AppMesh supports, which is great. And in an interesting change from other MTLS solutions that AWS uh, implemented, especially the one for API Gateway, is that you don't need to use a private CA for this. Yeah. So you can generate your certs any way you want and store them. I believe it's in Secrets Manager. 
So again, that that will cool because a lot of our customers were seeing Istio as the only alternative to be able to do MTLS between microservices. Uh, AWS released, I think, a couple of months ago, API Gateway with MTLS. Now you can do Kubernetes on the MTLS. Uh, that's uh, with the app mesh and NECS as well. So that gives you kind of end-to-end -end encryption with mutual encryption. So for product like um, open banking or online banking application for the FSI market is very, very important. So you can go native now. You don't have to scratch your head with Istio for months to try to make it work. It sounds like somebody had some experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's move on. Um, Fargate can increase default resource as well. So interesting. Uh, I don't have any, any customer of this size, but you can go from a 500 uh, launch concurrent task to 1000 now. So it's uh, the service quota is massive on ECS with Fargate uh, and EKS with Fargate as well. Yeah, it's interesting because they increased the count to 500 not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, and doubled it again. So I'd love to see who uses that kind of number it this is just the default that everybody gets it's not like what you increase so yeah um i guess they really want to sell those forget containers and they feel like very comfortable i guess to scale with many many customers and they have the, the hardware to back it up so yeah interesting let's move on to ec2 and vpcs yep so there we have those bare metal instances again yeah, this time M5N, M5DN, and R5N uh, and DN and bare metal as well. Um, so this one, 100 gig, you have the N to recognize them. <laughs> and then a couple of these um, as well for the storage and the Intel Xeon processor again uh, to be able to do um, elastic fabric adapters and then, you know, HPC, ML workload, uh, all of that. That's going to be the instance you will need. And you can have obviously EBS attached volume, ELB in the front and all of that. So yeah, more instances again. Yeah. And and more speed increases for elastic file system as well, EFS. Um, didn't they, didn't they do something on that very recently as well? I think they doubled the, no, it was, um, the max was it the max throughput. Uh, th there was a right throughput increase. Now it's a read that the triple again that's the right. read throughput yep. increase uh, to 300 meg per terabyte. So that's becoming a very good service. I remember at the beginning of that service, we had to uh, store fake uh, terabyte of data to make sure that you have that perfect bandwidth. That's right. Burst the 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 old burst credits. Yeah. But but now it's out of the box, and the beauty of it is no additional cost. So you don't have to do anything. Uh, if you have a an existing EFS, it will automatically be uh, bursting to three hundred meg now. So nice addition. Yep. So that's also just for the read. It's not for the write. That that triple that tripling. Yeah. But a lot of application use going to be using read like for ML, for um, even ECS and websites and all this kind of plethora of application who, who benefit from having a, a centralized uh, share storage um, will, will benefit even EKS and Lambda. Yep. Speaking of EFS, you can now use them on the new Mac instances. If you upgrade those to use uh, Mac OS Big Sur, which is also now a possibility, I probably assume that new instances will be running that. Yes. So you can use the native NFS4 to mount the file, or you can install uh, with the Homebrew Package Manager uh, a specific Amazon EFS client to be able to connect to that EFS storage and do your testing. Yeah, that's the same client, I assume, as for Linux. Yeah. So one that I actually am really happy with, even though it seems like such a small thing, is that you can now use local time zones for scheduled scaling of application autoscaling. Yeah. As we are here in Australia, using UTC was always a headache. It's, it's surprising how hard it is to do time zone math in your head, isn't it? Unless you're doing it all the time. I used to I used to have to do that all the time. Yeah, and it's uh, it's almost as bad as um, calculating um, uh, lat longs and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, uh, yeah, that's all hard as well. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's going to make life easier. Not to mention um, the half yearly, let's change everything again by an hour because we go into out-of-daylight savings. Yeah. You'd probably want your scheduled events to, to move with daylight savings time, wouldn't you? I assume so. So if your peak if your peak is at 6 p.m. or whatever, yeah, you're going to want it to move. Yeah, so you specify the canonical name for the time zone, which I assume um, would just be the um, 
Australia slash Melbourne. Yeah. Or things like that. So and that should then automatically adjust to daylight savings. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the dark. It automatically adjusts for daylight saving time. Ah, good, 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 good. I mean, I haven't tested it yet in that because uh, that is something you can only check well, every six months, and we're not quite there yet. <laughs> yes. Um, the announcement, one of the announcements that I thought was kind of nice in this section was the application load balancer now supports application cookie stickiness. So previously, um, if you wanted sticky sessions on an ALB, the cookie was generated on the ALB. So you had a special ALB generated cookie that, that would do that. And now you, you, it can use a cookie that's generated by your application to do the same stickiness. So basically once you get a session uh, on one of the instances in your cluster, you'll get sent back to that same instance by the load balancer on the virtue on the basis of the cookie that is set in your application rather than the load balancer which kind of gives you some more granular control over that yeah especially uh, that was creating problem when you have a couple of uh, or two ILBs uh, in chain or in sandwiches then then the first cookie was getting lost and the application cookie was getting lost so it, it, it was creating some problem now that's so you can rely on, on your application to do all of that uh, you still have the same uh, kind of monitoring from the ILB level so if your node become inactive uh, then uh, that cookie will be discarded and, and uh, that node won't be hit again. You will need to obviously re-authenticate, uh, and but um, you will go to an another node. The ILB uh, health check still work. Yeah, and no extra extra charge, all free. Yeah, so that's a it's. I think that'll make a difference for for a bunch of a bunch of uh, use cases. There'll be people quite happy about that. I think. Yeah, well, in many cases, I think for many people, it means they can finally move from classic load balancers. Well, it's just the the classic ELB already supported this. Yeah. Right. But yeah, nobody at AWS wants to admit that they that they'll still exist. <laughs> what about the scaling history? I thought that was probably potentially useful in some circumstances. The scaling history for deleted groups. Yeah, just nice to have. I guess you can specify another additional parameters to describe the the scaling history and see the auto scaling group who have been deleted. Um, yeah, probably a nice management to to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but nothing else. Uh, oh well, I guess the backup events and metrics in CloudWatch. Maybe that's maybe that's kind of useful. That's useful too. But yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a it's a month of not super exciting. So we have to kind of make. I mean, in a normal month, we wouldn't even put that on the list, would we? But <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we would, but. You know, we wouldn't necessarily talk about it, but, you know, it feels like it's a slow month. The, the backup event and metrics, I guess it's good. I had some customer who asked me, how do I know my snapshot worked? And, yeah. you know, they want this yeah. type of monitoring tool, even if, you know, they're supposed to work so that you can track the created, the running, the completed and the failed uh, job uh, and um, for all the different products you have. And set up alarms and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Then you can drive some alerting up off the other end of that. So if something fails, at least people will have the comfort that if it fails, they'll get a SMS or an email to say it did. Yeah, there is traffic mirroring, uh, which is now supported on non-nitro instance. Selected. Yeah, AWS was going all nitro now. Um, there's still non-nitro instances um, like C4, D2, G3. It reminded me of that the X1 instances still exist. Yeah, X1, X1, E, yes. So traffic mirroring is supported in these old instances now. Bit weird, but yeah, they make the effort of doing that. It's still not supported on T2, C3, R3, and I2. If you run this instance, you should upgrade though, because an I2... All three, all of that is all down. Yeah. Let's move on to DevOps. CloudWatch Synthetics supports a Amazon API Gateway in API Blueprint. So this this is like um, sort of making it easier to in set up a Synthetics to to monitor your API Gateway that you've got set up. Yep. So you can basically, as I understand it, you can kind of derive a Synthetic check from from like a swagger, your, your your open API definition. Is that is that correct? Is that what I'm reading here? Yeah. So so just sort of it's a, a way of of quickly being able to set that up for that particular use case when you've got API gateway. And Synthetics is of course the service that automatically checks if your website is still up and running. Yeah. Uptime monitoring. Yep. So that's cool. That's a nice feature. Yep. Um, X-ray insights is another one. 
basically this um, means that X-ray can now more easily detect events and in the interface it shows both past and ongoing events. Quickly, if you've used X-ray, you're familiar with the spider web of your services with all the circles and now you just get details on, hey, this had issues or expecting issues. That's anomaly detection, isn't it? Is it, is it an ML-based thing? Yeah. It doesn't specifically mention that it's ML, but yeah, okay. it's anomaly detection and I'm pretty sure that under the hood it uses some machine learning. It's similar to the same service for Lambda and containers. Yeah, the relentless march of ML into every corner of our lives. Yeah, so on the upside, um, one that I am quite happy about is delegated administrator for CloudFormation stack sets. So you could already have your stack sets defined in your root accounts of your organization and then have them automatically deployed when you add new accounts and just have it all managed through them without really needing to touch it much. Obviously, this was against best practice because it was the root account. As JM likes to point out every other episode. Yes, the master account is not the best place to do DevOps, yes. So um, luckily, this month, AWS has been adding that option so you can nominate another AWS account inside your organization to be able to be the host for all these uh, tax sets you want to push to the rest of your organization. So very nice addition there, yeah. So, so, so JM, JM, did I just hear you say master account? Yes. <sighs> Why? Get with the program, man. It's not a master account anymore. It's a management account. We don't say master anymore. Well, it used to be billing, right? And then, then, then we changed it to master account. Uh, root, root, it could, could be root account, but let's say it's the organization account <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the correct space. Um, Control Tower still use the old model, uh, and hopefully maybe we can see a new version of Control Tower. We're going to use that new dedicated administrator account to be able to push the stack sets. Uh, that would be a nice addition to Control Tower. Um, obviously, we love Graviton 2 instances, so it's good to see that CodeBuild now supports that as well. Nothing really exciting to say about that other than, yay, it you can now. You can do it. Uh, the Graviton processor is more green, it's cheaper, so... Let's start using it when you can. It's available in Sydney. Even better. Let's move on to security. Unless you want to talk about Cloud9 launching visual source control for Git. I think you just did. That's that's the announcement. That, that, that's it, yeah. You can <laughs> you can now have the Git, Git tools installed on your Cloud9 instance terminal. It's the visual part that's new. Just yeah. like in every other IDE that you can mm. use Git directly from your IDE instead of the command line. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, as a command line purist, I don't see the point in this, but you know. <laughs> Let's move to security. We have GuardDuty introducing a new machine learning domain reputation to expand threat detection and improve accuracy. So you're going to start detecting domain who look suspicious before they become suspicious. So that's interesting. And, and for that, there is a couple of... Um, Reputation alert, malicious domain request, abuse domain request, suspicious domain request, and Bitcoin domain request. So um, if uh, your EC2 instance start calling DNS on this uh, suspicious domain, then uh, you will get a graduate alert to say maybe something wrong on this machine is happening right now. So what? So I'm not really clear on, on so I, I mean, I always think of these suspicious domains as being, you know, essentially a, a blacklist of, of, of names. So wh- wh- why does ML get involved here? Like what's, uh, are these domains being obscured somehow? Is there some patterning that, that, that's, you know, are they guessing it? Well, sorry, guessing. Are they der- using a machine learning model to, to co- you know, how can they, you know, determine that a domain might be a Bitcoin domain? How would you do it? I mean, for me, I will look at the IP address matching the domain. I will look at the registrar who registered the domain. I will look at the, at yeah. the name itself. It's like a really weird domain. That's a, that you, you you can't you can't use the the name of the domain surely as a, as a as a piece of information to determine whether something's like to be a Bitcoin domain. I mean, unless it goes, oh, you know, um, leapbitcoinhacker.com. <laughs> okay, oh, I think that's a Bitcoin domain. But yeah, it's it's it, I'm just I'm interested to know understand or understand how it's doing that. Is it is it doing it by looking at you know other 
services have pointed to this domain in this context. So therefore we think maybe it's, you know, we think that's the sort of behavior that we'd expect from a Bitcoin domain. Are they using, you know, the, the massive data perhaps from, from the fact that they've got a huge network of, uh, of um, workloads all busily doing things to, to, to look for patterns, these sorts of patterns. So when something becomes identified as a Bitcoin domain, they, they have a bunch of essentially machine learning uh, training data to say, that's what that looked like. That's the sort of traffic you saw. I don't have the answer for Guy, but um, what they say is learning domain reputation model that can categorize previously unseen domain. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, 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 it'd have to be something like that, wouldn't it? It'd have to be, you know, what, what sort of patterns of track are we seeing to this domain? How does that match up against other domains that we've seen in the past that were you know, abused or spamming or whatever. And don't forget, Guarduty, I guess, is used all over the world by AWS. And if they see, you know, patterns right. happening in other accounts or, or um, who were proven um, suspicious, then, uh, yeah, let's let's stop that uh, Route T3 request. Yeah, interesting. Again, machine learning. It's creeping into every corner of your life. More machine learning, yes. Maybe sometimes. For good or for evil, but <laughs> it's it's coming anyway, regardless. Yeah, more machine learning with Amazon Macy, uh, who can now um, support cross-account sensitive data discovery uh, by scanning S3 uh, bucket in other accounts and uh, filtering by object prefix. Yep, and I think one of the things that people will appreciate is improved pre-scan cost estimation because a lot of people have had bill sticker shock from, from Macy, right? So... That's probably a, a, a feature that they needed to to provide for people to feel more comfortable with letting Macy loose on their buckets. Yes, yes. And yeah, pick, pick the bucket you want to use to be able to do the scanning. So you are the first uh, gig free per month per region, but then, uh, you know, the the cost is quite high when you start scanning terabytes of data. Yeah. I, I have to give um, AWS credit here for using the word slew. In, in their announcement, they announced a slew of new capabilities. Um, to, fun fact, I didn't didn't know before today, but slew is actually of a form of the word slay to kill. Um, so so slew is kind of a you know they're killing it. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say though I think the Amazon Macy team here clearly did not get the memo from AWS that every tiny announcement needs to be its own blog post. That's right. Yeah, so, someone's gonna get someone's gonna get sacked. <laughs> like, there's four announcements there, and you did it in one. It's so just you can just imagine Darth Vader choking someone to death for this. Yeah. Okay. VPC endpoints for Cloud HSM, so you don't have to have any uh, a net gateway for you reaching out to your Cloud HSM now. Why that didn't exist before? I mean, Cloud HSM is supposed to be the most secure stuff know, you want to run, and I you know. have to go through the internet to do it. This, 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 this falls into the category. Didn't it always work like that? Um, which is a which is a category we started, I think, um, a, a, while, a while back, uh, didn't we? We talked about it, but we didn't actually do anything. No, no, that's right. The, the, we, 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 we decided the nanos were were more fun, but yeah, as well, surely it always worked that way. No, it didn't. So now it does. Well, now you can at least do that. Oh, but the announcement I thought was kind of fun. Maybe, maybe just because it helps me at the moment. But uh, was the WAF adding support for JSON parsing and inspection? Did you guys look at that? Yeah, yeah. That, that's. I think that's good, especially when you put that on top of API gateways and stuff like that. When you put a lot of JSON stuff. Absolutely. However, you need to know that only the first AK is scanned not the old payload so you need to be sure that are uh, you 8k is a lot yeah i yeah, know i agree but... stop stop whinging jm <laughs> I mean, you would say oh we will scan the old payload and to see if there is anything but if if you had to um so they recommend to have WAF rules are going to block something anything bigger than 8k uh to make sure that the content of that payload is getting scanned uh so the WAF rules so yeah yeah. So, so, and I learned something today as well. This uh, JSON pointer syntax. Had you had you come across that before? I know. So there's a whole there's a whole syntax for basically uh, defining what what keys you want to access in inside a JSON payload, and it's um yeah the, you can read the RFC if you want to if you're interested. You you won't be interested, but anyway, it basically there's a 
it has a backslash. <laughs> That's how you kind of right. mark out the thing you want it you want it to look at. So you can pull things out and 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 write rules based on the JSON pointer syntax. Okay, very good. But WAF getting better and better, yeah. So use WAF when you can. Yeah, which is in a lot of places now because you can use it with CloudFront, ALBs, you can use it with API Gateway and AppSync. Mm-hmm. And we designed something for a customer who has two WAF, one on the CloudFront level, you know, IP reputation and, and uh, generic mm-hmm. stuff, and then one more specific on the ILB as a source for the CloudFront with very specific rules and uh, very granular stuff for protecting the application. And AWS calls that defense in depth, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's, well, it's part of the well-architected. That's what you should do. So multiple layers. Data storage and processing. I know that the first one on the list here, JM, is one that you've been very vocal about in the past that you wanted it. Yes, I mean, it's it's a massive improvement for people who want to access S3 bucket from on-prem. Um, so it's uh, S3 now support AWS Private Link. You know, in the past, you have S3 Gateway Endpoint, who are free. You, have, you set up that in your uh, VPC, but it's a routing mechanism to S3. So you had to have an EC2 instance to talk to that environment, so you couldn't point your on-prem application to that uh, uh, S3 endpoint and access S3. So you have to go through the internet or do a private VIF, a public VIF, or other type of mechanism. Now with Antifas endpoint, you set it up in your VPC and you have a private link me- mechanism to access S3. So it's pretty cool. Um, able to process 10 gig per, band- per, per AZ, so you can have it multiple endpoints, you can create multiple one of, as well. The only thing I don't like is um, the way you need to do your CLI command and specify the endpoint in every of your commands. So when you want to hit your, for example, from your CLI, AWS S3, uh, this file black to my to my bucket, uh, you need to specify the endpoint. Um, and the endpoint DNS can be quite a, a long version and then probably you don't know it. So you need to do dash dash endpoint URL specify the endpoint URL, and then your ls command or your copy command. Um, so it's, it's all right, but um, it's much more complicated than I was expecting the product to be. But now you can, you don't need proxies anymore. You don't need all sorts of different tools to be able to copy data to S3 quickly from on-prem. You can use uh, die connect, private vif, straight to the endpoint. Cool. Uh, speaking of S3, under the category small is relative, Amazon S3 on Outpost adds a smaller storage tier. You can now, for your Outpost, have an S3 that is only 26 terabytes <laughs> in addition to the existing 48 and 96. So yes, 26 is smaller, but it's still quite a bit of data. Well, when you have your Outpost, you need to pick between EBS and S3 if you want an S3. So the more you set up to S3, the more you lose on EBS. Um, so that, that, that makes sense uh, to allow a smaller S3 storage. And if you want a snapshot on your outpost, you need to have that S3 setup to be able to store the snapshot of your EBS volume into that S3 uh, outpost. So yeah, good addition. I can't wait to see a one OU outpost and, and play with it. So yeah, we'll see what happens. How much S3 storage do you think you'll be on in the one OU? The, the one the- the one you? Version. I don't, I don't know. So something else we've heard of that people are actually happy about is RDS for SQL Server supporting always-on availability groups for standard edition. Oh, yes. Again, that's it's a, that's sort of in the category of didn't always do that for a lot of people, isn't it? I think a lot of people are surprised that they, they couldn't do that or outraged. <laughs> that they couldn't do that? Well, there was mirroring before, and that was the process... Uh RDS was using for standard edition, where enterprise edition could use the um, availability groups. Uh, now that's been brought to standard edition, but you need the 2919 uh, SQL Server version, um, and um, now you have a standby replica, and you can point your client to the listener endpoint instead of pointing it to the replica itself. So um, you're going to have a faster failover when one one of these AZ disappear. Yeah, that was possible on Enterprise Edition before. Now it's brought to Standard Edition. Microsoft said there is a couple of limitations using Standard Edition and is to have only one database replicated. So I'm not sure if RDS apply that rules as well. Uh, But if you have multiple databases on your RDS, then you still would need to use Enterprise Edition. Standard Edition will replicate only one database, apparently, to be tested. You'll get back to us next time 
with having tested that by the sounds of things. When a customer, yeah, uh, provide that, yes. There is a limitation of licensing as well using Star Edition, so check with your Microsoft rep for that. Always with the licensing restrictions. Uh, we have Amazon Aurora Global Database Support Managed Plan Failover. So I think that sounds that sounds moderately exciting. Yeah. Well, especially we have a new region coming up in, in Melbourne, right? So we might be able to use this uh, global database system. And it's only five years away going by your mouse. <laughs> no, end of 22. End, end of 22. And how many years away is that? <laughs> yep, a year and a half. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, Amazon Global, uh, no, sorry, Amazon Aurora Global Database, uh, it's a single database that can span up to six AWS regions, uh, for fast disaster recovery. And you can have typical latency between region under one second, which is pretty nice. So now with, uh, the managed plan failover capabilities, you can really change your region and your host and test your kind of failover between region and make sure that you have that connectivity working and, and that failover working properly. So instead of, waiting for suffering an, uh, uh, um, an outage, uh, you can plan that failover between regions. There is a nice blog about it if you want to read and want to learn about that. Oh, the other nice thing in this section was probably if you're, if you're using it, if you're using DynamiteDB local, you can use Particle now with that. That's PartyQL um, with DynamoDB local. So if you're, yeah, if you're in that bucket, then you too can join the Particle, particle Club. I think we're ready to uh, talk about the most exciting uh, section, aren't we, Ian? Because we know we know it's got it's got a reference to my favorite favorite product in it. You know. Yep. We always want know that you're excited about AI and ML, and well, take it away, guy. Tell us about Deep Composer's Transformer Notebook. No, 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 no. I refuse. I refuse. But I, I, I will. I will say the um, the nice the the one from this section I do, I do think is interesting is the lookout for vision, which is now generally available. So that was the service that I think was released at um, reInvent. Yes, yes, quite yes. And this is the um, this is the sort of anomaly detection for uh, essentially for like assembly lines. It's using computer vision to um, find defects in in products essentially. So so that's now GA. Yeah, automating quality inspection with uh, ML uh, backing that up. So yeah, nice product. I wonder what type of camera do they need? Uh, you need 4K or something to have high resolution to be able to do it properly. Yeah, you might. It might. It might be surprisingly uh, low res. I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on what what it is they're scanning. I mean, Deep Lens wasn't exactly high quality. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot you can do with 1080p. I think probably. Um, but yeah, Ian, tell us about Deep Composer, please. What's this new transformer notebook on GitHub? Has it, got, has, has it got anything to do with the Transformers, like more than meets the eye? Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't. it's not more than meets the eye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it doesn't change into trucks or fancy <laughs> things like that. Well, I'm, I'm out then. But interestingly, in the announcement, what they talk about, um, the Transformer is a state-of-the-art model that works with sequential data, such as genomic data or stock prices. Obviously, that is not what it's used for in Deep Composer, but it allows you to iteratively extend a melody to create new and long compositions. So where before Deep Composer would just let you add extra instruments to your piece of music, now you can actually make it add a whole piece to it, which I'm sure that you guys hate even more. <laughs> it does sound a little bit like it's it's it, yes yeah, stop it you're just making it worse <laughs> it sounds this, this actually makes it sound more like what you thought it did instead of what it actually did <laughs> okay <laughs> all right yeah i think i think that you know most of the most of the knowledge i have about deep composer comes from the uh the initial announcement um when they got that guy out on stage playing a guitar over the top of something, some random noise that a supposedly Deep Composer had created. But you couldn't really hear it because it was just that guy singing and playing his guitar over the top of it, which, yeah, that, I think that was cheating myself. But anyway, as I said, like, I'd never let, you know, uh, coming to grips with reality uh, interrupt me having a good time uh, at the expense of Deep Composer. Uh, and so, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> don't harsh my vibe by telling me it's actually not that bad. I'm not interested, okay? 
Shall we have a look at other cool stuff? Other cool stuff, yeah. Not a lot here, but um, I think the top one is actually really interesting for people, Yeah, which is the Amazon CloudFront Security Savings Bundle. So it's essentially RIs for CloudFront, right? Yep. It's basically RIs for CloudFront, plus you get a bit of uh, web savings added to it as well. So... In essence, what it comes down to, even though it's described differently, is you get a 30% discount on your CloudFront if you reserve into the future for, I believe it's one or three years. And in addition, you get 10% of that same on your web savings. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so as an example, so you need to commit for a monthly spend for one year term. Yes. Um, so if you commit for $70, for example, for CloudFront, you will get $100 of CloudFront which is a 30% discount. So you get more than what you pay. And then you get 10% of this $70 means $7 of WAF charges. So you don't get 10% of your WAF, you just get a value of the of the WAF request. So a bit complex calculation, but you know, it's good to have rebates. And that includes Lambda Edge as well, which is quite expensive when you run it uh, at scale. And uh, uh, just encourage you to use WAF on top of your platform. So it's good. It's interesting that Lambda Edge falls under this instead of... Oh, the, the compute part, yeah. It's come with your platform costing, yes. Yeah. So, great. And let's just use it. Um, an announcement for Control Tower. Always some improvement there. So the old version of Control Tower is 2.3. Um, there was a set region... Uh, numbers uh, and now the uh, AWS has been adding more region last month so you can add more region if you want to if, to be able to control this region or if you don't want to then you need to upgrade to the version 2.6 of control tower which has an upgrade background takes around an hour to do but then you can uh, decide to don't integrate this region into your control tower space however this region are not checked so you better have some other type of rule scps or something to block this region otherwise control tower won't even look at them uh, you save a bit of cost because you don't have to install cloud formation template for this region or, or AWS config for this region but um, still you will need to block them a certain way uh, what you cannot do is to remove them once you are being adding a region to control tower you can't remove them so you can't go back in time and say oh, I, don't, I don't want that mumbai region or singapore region anymore when it's added it's added you can't remove it cool other thing, I know, Guy, how much you love talking about workmail. <laughs> well, I actually use workmail, so you know, I'm I'm I, I, I'm the guy, I'm the one who's who's got a workmail account. <laughs> I really hope you automatically switch uh, between dark modes. <laughs> now you can have a lambda function who's going to inject stuff, scan stuff, remove attachment, and all of that. You can move use lambda to uh, to do what exchange used to do. I know, I know. Remember yeah. the old exchange rules you had, adding yeah, stuff, yeah. images, and scanning. Yep, I I will very excitedly run off and and do that. <laughs> <laughs> No, so the, 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 there is a use case for this, of course, if, if a company is actually using Workmail as their essentially their outsourced exchange or SaaS as, you know, exchange as a service type thing, which is essentially what it what it is, I guess. Um, and they want to do things like automatically attach a, you know, a footer to every email or, you know, like a, you know, you, so, you know some places they, 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 get, they put a, a thing on the top to say this email came from an external address you know that sort of stuff i imagine is is what they what this will allow you to do yep and being able to do it through lambda means that the workmail team didn't have to build that capability themselves <laughs> <laughs> there you go win-win yeah and the last announcement it seems like we're sort of we're tapering off amazon sns now supports one minute cloudwatch metrics yeah it was it was five minutes before now now it's one minute yeah which actually leads us very nicely to the topic of the nanos. So what what's the what's your candidate Arjun, for the for the smallest most insignificant announcement of the month? And it was in a month where it was a tight pack because there's a lot of insignificant <laughs> announcements in this one. Yeah, I I went again to the mobile parts of AWS with support for new regions in the AWS console mobile application. But when you look at them, they are very old region, like Hong Kong, yeah. Bahrain, Milan, Cape Town. Our Cape Town is relatively new, but why Hong Kong was not there before? Yeah, this is um, 
Yeah, it's crazy that this took so long. Um, shows that we really need a better mobile application. Only we knew somebody who was building one of those. Oh, yeah. So, um, Rob, if you're listening... Um, Hurry up. <laughs> yeah, AWS need help. Yeah. All right. So, so I, I had a quick scan back through, and and yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one to pick a nano for this, and and it's probably a little unfair. This one, you know, somebody probably there's probably a big audience for it actually. But since we're in Australia, I thought it was a nano. Amazon Pinpoint now supports ten DLC and toll free numbers. It's only in the US, <laughs> um, and it just kind of seemed pretty boring anyway yeah and it's pinpoint so i'm sure there's there's a whole group of people who are super excited about this but i wasn't <laughs> so it's my candidate and i don't care if you're excited okay and jm did you have some oh, i don't I, I, I agree the console mobile application i think it's uh really sad uh, and then the SNS one minute, yeah, that might be useful for some things, but it's just a cloud of metrics at the end. It's not even the service itself. So, but look, you know, altogether, it's a it's a solid it's a solid effort from AWS. I think we give them a C <laughs> for, for February. What do you reckon? Yeah, March doesn't seem to be uh, very interesting too, but we see what happens. It's still very yeah. early in March. Well, 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 maybe maybe if they get their C from us, <laughs> they might just go, oh, you know, the guys, they're, they're not impressed. We'd better pull out some big ones yeah. for, for March. Otherwise, they'll lose interest and they they might just all fall asleep and start making podcasts about falling asleep instead. Yep, which brings me nicely to the reminder of my new podcast. So it's called Alien Without Sleep. As I said, you can find it on the website and in your podcast player of choice. And other than that, I will end us for today. And I'll thank, as always, our sponsors, Enabler, the user group's gold sponsor, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD, and Do It International. Of course, I also want to thank our listeners, all of you who stuck with us and didn't fall asleep yet. Thank you. I would have wanted to thank Guy, but it sounds like he's busy crying. <laughs> um, pleasure, Alien, and and uh, always, it's always nice to to do these things and to learn things from from you guys because uh, you are mighty. And JM, thank you. Yes, thank you, Arjun. Thank you, Guy. Always fun uh, to discuss the news with you and and talk about AWS. Uh, looking forward for the next month. Cool. And with that. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you later. Thank, thank you. Bye.